Welcome to First State Insights, offering information, perspectives, and analysis for public policy, management, and community and economic development in Delaware. Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the Institute for Public Administration. My name is Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute, which is a research and public service center at the University of Delaware's Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. Thanks for tuning in today. On today's episode, I am joined by Rachel Lindemann of m Bank, and we'll be discussing commercial real estate in Delaware. Rachel is a senior commercial real estate relationship manager at m ts Wilmington, Delaware office. She works with her clients on the lending side of many real estate deals across the state. Rachel and I are also co-chairs of the Urban Land Institute Delaware Council. The Urban Land Institute, or ULI for short, is a global nonprofit research and education organization whose mission is to provide leadership in the responsible use of land and in creating and sustaining thriving communities worldwide. As co-chairs of the ULI Delaware Council, Rachel and I also have a seat at the table on ULI Philadelphia Region's advisory board, which includes about 75 leaders in commercial real estate from across the region. In addition to ULI, Rachel is also very active in DREW, which is a group focused on women working in commercial real estate in Delaware. Rachel will expand on this group some in our conversation. We hope you enjoy our discussion today. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll get started. First question, um, just tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're originally from, and what brought you to Delaware. Sure. So I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Uh, I grew up there and then I went to college at St. Lawrence University, which is pretty much as far north of New York State as you can get before Canada. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So um, I and I graduated from there with an economics degree and moved to Syracuse, New York, which is halfway between. I didn't I was hell bent on not living at home with my parents but I couldn't afford New York City at that point. So I ended up in Syracuse. And so I honestly had never, other than driving through Delaware to get to Ocean City, Maryland, I did not know anything about Delaware growing up. Right, Right, that was about (laughs) it. So, and I knew there was a giant mall that had a Nordstrom, which was very exciting. (laughs) So before that, yeah, I didn't really know anything. And uh, so I graduated from college and worked for M&T. Um, I actually worked for M&T on my Christmas and summer breaks from college as an intern in their commercial group doing customer support. So when I graduated, I, was, I got a full-time job working in the credit underwriting team in Syracuse. And that's where I met my husband. And so he ended up getting transferred with his company to the King of Prussia office and that's how we ended up in this area, at least. And I was like, okay, I'm going to find a job in the Philadelphia market. And so we ended up here. And so I was able to actually work for my team remotely for a couple months. And then I was talking with the, pres- the regional president for Philadelphia about getting a job in the commercial group there. And he said, and this was probably October when I was talking to him. And he said, I don't have anything that's going to open up until March. but." The commercial real estate team in Delaware has three have three pregnant lenders and they are in desperate need of help. So, and mind you, this was about a month after the conversion from Wilmington Trust to MT. So you had a group that 
you know, didn't know the systems really yet. We're getting acclimated to the culture and had three women who were going to be out of the office for three months. And I think they had at that point six lenders. So half the team was going to be out. So I interviewed with them and ended up taking the job. And I started, what, June 3rd or January 3rd, 2012, uh, with that team in the commercial real estate group. I actually didn't expect to do commercial real estate. I wanted to do the business middle market side of things. (laughs) So everything was just kind of happenstance meant to be. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's good. Um, Well, we're happy you're here. Um, Yeah. So, and you touched on this a, a little bit. I was interested to for you to talk a little bit about your your job, kind of day to day. You talked a little bit about how you got into the commercial real estate world um, and your career path. But if you want to talk, you know, a little bit about the logistics of your job and and kind of um, describe, you know, mm-hmm. what it is you do on a daily basis and how it relates to uh, real estate in Delaware. Yeah. So I'm in the commercial real estate lending team. I'm a lender with our group here uh, locally in Wilmington. So we support all Delaware and Eastern Shore-based developers wherever they go. So we'll follow... You know, If somebody goes to Florida, we'll follow them to Florida. If they do something in Pennsylvania, we'll follow them to Pennsylvania. And we generally are cut off between commercial and like a business banking type client would be um, a loan amount of over... I think generally it's like $5 million. It's a little gray area. Anything $5 million and over uh, with an overall portfolio size that's probably over $10 million. So we will do everything from acquisition of land, construction appro- you know, construction financing, and then we'll do perm. That's not our sweet spot. Our sweet spot is really the construction to like a mini permanent you know, two or three year term on the back end. And then it goes... Typically, we send it to our permanent market group who does Fannie, Freddie, um, life insurance and CMBS placements. So we do. it's really fun because you get to hear about projects that are coming online. You get to hear about companies that are coming in. They're the tenant of your project that you're financing. Um, So it's really fun to know that and and see how things are changing. but yeah, we we um but then so we also provide you know as the relationship managers we're technically called not just the lender, we help with everything whether it's you know payment cash management solutions insurance whatever it is we bring in people and specialists to help our clients with whatever they need. So it's fun because you kind of you learn about the business um, and get to see how how they're managing it and everyone does it so differently. Yeah. I've noticed in, in our interactions in the past, you seem to be uh, pretty pretty knowledgeable and aware of a lot of different, you know, deals in the market and sort of different local markets around the state, which is pretty unique. Can you can you talk a little bit about you know different markets within Delaware, different submarkets uh, that you yep. um, are, are currently working in or recently worked in, and then maybe you know a little bit of the Eastern Shore too, the Eastern Shore work. Mm-hmm. So I have not actually done much on the Eastern Shore. I um, 
just we have a guide based in Dover. So I don't know too much other than like Salisbury University. I don't know too much about it. Our biggest market right now that I've seen the most growth in is Sussex County. Mm-hmm. So we've done a lot of multifamily because I think what people are realizing is it's becoming more of a long uh, it's not just a summer. It's a. It's not as seasonal as it used to be. So mm-hmm. people are living down there full time because people are working remotely. So they can at least you have the job you want. You might as well live where you want if you can do it wherever. So you might as well live by the beach. Mm-hmm. So we found there was a huge need for affordable multifamily because you have also all these people who work. You know, at the outlets, at the house, at the restaurants, the hotels, all of that at the beach. But there wasn't anything affordable. You know, they're not. They, I know I couldn't afford you know a house in Rehoboth. Mm-hmm. So what they were finding is people were commuting over an hour from Millsboro or wherever to get to these jobs, right. and then that, that's without traffic. So it was just getting to be not feasible. So we've seen a lot of multifamily going up, um, maybe that halfway point between Millsboro and and the beach, which is just going to... I mean, I think there's a huge demand for that down there. So that's going to be really successful. And then, of course, the hotel and hospitality. We've seen a number of new projects uh, down there for that, which obviously there's demand for that. At some point, they'll hit a breaking point where you know there's enough rooms and enough inventory. But for now, it seems to be holding fairly strong. Well, right now, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. um, in normal circumstances, yeah. <laughs> there's demand. Yeah, I know so that's the, our main one. Yeah. And then around the university, there's obviously demand for student, you know, student housing, the new hotel that's going up. So there's a you know that's a demand generator, and then Newcastle County. All we really see, we don't see a ton of new new stuff because there's not a ton of land available mm-hmm. other than Middletown. So Newcastle County, we just find there's a lot of redevelopment plays going on right now. Right. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you we can hit on that in a minute, but you, you mentioned the hospitality hotel sector. I know uh, was on a um, Urban Land Institute uh, real estate forecast call recently, and they're they're forecasting that that sector is is likely to be the hardest hit from the whole. Uh, COVID-19 crisis, but, you know, tying into that, you've recently joined me as a co-chair of the Urban Land Institute Delaware Council, um, but you're also very active in Crew or Drew in Delaware. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what attracted you to these organizations and why you have an interest in their missions? Yeah, so Drew is a totally women-focused group. Um, We have members from all different parts of the commercial real estate world. So lawyers, brokers, obviously bankers, um, contractors. So it's great because it's a smaller group of women. And so it allows you to make really good connections and um, form really good relationships with people. So I've enjoyed that. And I was president of that for three years. It was a fun group to be a part of. And so we broke away. So Crew is a national women's organization. About 10 years ago, Drew broke away from them because one thing, I mean, I think a lot of people can attest to, Delaware is a little bit unique in the way business gets done. So it's very relationship. It's very, you know, the connectivity to people. That's very much how business gets done in Delaware. So we found that that's very different than the Philadelphia mindset. So when we were a part of the Philadelphia chapter, it just didn't quite work. It just mm-hmm. it, it, the programming wasn't applicable or whatnot. So breaking away is just mean it's made sense. So um, yeah, it's, we have about I think right now we have about forty members 
maybe a little more than that now, but it's a good group of women. So it really, and we're, you know, we focus on our content and we tend to do, you know, one month we'll do a more social event and the next month it's a more educational based event. So we, we mix it up a little bit, but we really enjoy it. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating because again, it's women who are all very involved in various projects. So we're able to collaborate a little bit and figure out, you know, what the trends are and what we should really be focusing our programming on. Mm-hmm. And what about yeah. ULI? I know you, you've been active. Well, obviously yeah. you're a co-chair with me now, but yeah. you've been active for some time uh, with ULI. Right. So the opposite of Drew is that ULI to me is more broad. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, you have, you know, it connect, it's connected worldwide, not just Delaware based, which I also enjoy. So you're able to hear about different things that are happening in different cities and how they're, you know, I don't repurposing buildings or doing a planning, you know, and how they're doing density plannings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about how can that translate to projects in Delaware? Right. And should we be thinking about things differently a little bit? So I, it's interesting. I have like the two organizations I'm most involved in are very different from each other. Yeah. But I, I like that because it makes me more well-rounded to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, great. I have an interest in, in ULI for, for very similar things, sort of that global mindset, best practices, you know, kind of promoting best practices in real estate. Yeah. You know, so going back to the, the real estate market in Delaware, what areas do you see as opportunities right now in, in commercial real estate? And what areas uh, are you maybe seeing not quite as strong as they've been in the past? You know, you, you mentioned Sussex and the Newark area with Star Campus, you know, kind of those things going on. Can you talk a little bit maybe more specifically about areas that maybe were stronger in the past that aren't quite as strong now and, and maybe why? I know from my previous experience as a market research analyst for a big multifamily class A developer. You know, a lot of the things that developers look for are, um, you know, like visibility and access to transportation, you know, population density, you know, people that have expendable income um, mm-hmm. and, and employment. Right. So mm-hmm. if you can maybe connect the dots a little bit there in terms of what, you know, markets we're seeing, stronger than others within Delaware right now and maybe some of the reasons why. Yeah. So I think we touched on that earlier. So Sussex, obviously you have a strong employment base for the businesses that are down there. You just have to provide housing for them. Right. <laughs> so that's um, right. So I think that's why you've seen this, this boom in Sussex in terms of multifamily and some of the um, for sale house, a lot of the nationals. So in 08, during the whole housing crisis, many, many, most of the nationals pulled out of at least one or more projects. Um, whether it was Ryan or Horton, but we've seen them come back very strong. So you've got a lot of projects going on downstate with these national builders and you know they, they can't get lots fast enough. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see with COVID how that plays out. But at this point, we haven't really seen... I mean, some stuff has slowed down because people are obviously not touring in person and stuff like that. But people are getting really creative with how... Um, a lot of virtual tours are happening. One of my multifamily guys has had a lot of more than I expected 
uh, apartment rentals wow. or leases actually happened during this whole thing. I think he said he had 20 last week or something, which I mean, wow. to me, right. Like that's, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I haven't worked Especially in multifamily. Are, 20 is pretty good in a week. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's over his portfolio, but still like yeah. you're being able to show people the product and that's enough for them to sign a lease, maybe not for a home purchase, but still. Yeah. So yeah, I think Sussex is your main one. Um, and then of course, with everything going on at Star Campus from a business perspective, yeah, it makes sense because you have so much transportation access. You have 95, and then you have the you do have hopefully all the rail getting beefed up, so people don't even have to have a car if they you know don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows them to commute in from from other cities. I mean, you look at Wilmington. I mean, we've said this Wilmington downtown at the train station in the mornings. It's people commuting in from Philadelphia on the train and. Hopefully, at some point, we can get them to stay here and yeah. live here. Um, <laughs> so, I think yeah. that's the trick. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. But I, I, I think there's, I mean, there's hope for that. I mean, Market Street has really changed a yeah. lot. Even in the so in the ten years or so I've been down here, I think it's got to be almost ten years. Um, Market Street has dramatically changed. I remember when I first started working here, like you didn't, you didn't walk Market Street alone. You know, you, you just didn't. Now you feel very comfortable doing that. It's fine. <laughs> there's a lot of restaurants. There's people about. Um, so that there's a big transformation there too, with the whole COVID thing. What'll be interesting? So I know before you know before this whole you know three months ago, the buzzwords in the office space and you know retail was all about collaborative spaces and amenities and everything else. Well, obviously now those are like taboo words. You don't have that. So that'll be interesting. So when this whole thing started, I I think I said to someone like, "Is this going to be it for office? Like, you know, the office market's been declining. They've been repurposing spaces. Is yeah. this it? Like, yeah. are we done?" And and same for brick and mortar retail. But what I've been hearing from some brokers and space planners and whatnot from different companies is people. Yes, people are working from home and companies who historically were like zero work from home, nobody can do that, are finding they were forced to do that. And people didn't miss a beat. Work work and productivity continued on. And so, okay, maybe now it's time to rethink that. So that's when I was like, oh gosh, like, you know, people were contracting office space to begin with. Is this going to be even worse? Well, I don't honestly... So I had that opinion before. I think it's probably not as bad as I expected it to because what people are seeing is that, okay, we can't do these small collaborative spaces. We need to have a larger... In order to social distance, we have to have larger cubicles or whatever the Mm -hmm. workspace is. So while there may be less people actually physically in the office, the workspace will be bigger. So the footprint overall is probably... I mean, maybe not a net zero, but not you know, as negative as I thought it was going to be. So that, I mean, that's probably something that's at least a neutral part of this whole COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. And then retail, what I thought has been really interesting is you've had, you know, all retail stores had to close. And with the exception of the service-based companies, which I think that's going to be a struggle because, you know, how do you, you can't reopen if it's, or people are reopening, but people are still going to be, you know, there's so many rules in play. I know I was talking to my son, the, the my son's barber, and he was saying, well, we, we're allowed to reopen, but we're only allowed to have, you know, two people in at a time, and it has to be 15 minutes in between each client. And he was so really, 
I, I don't know how advantageous it's going to be for us to even really open because it's not going to make, we're not going to make enough money to support our rent and our yeah, expenses. Right. Yeah. So with the exception of those, but like the retail like products, you're still going to have people that want to go touch and feel a product before. So I think your brick and mortar, like there may be some space, you know, space reduction, but you're still going to have some of those stores. But what these some of these stores have been forced to do is beef up their online platform because they may have not had one mm-hmm. or they you know just didn't even they didn't pay much attention to it because they were fine with their in-store sales but now they've been forced to so now coming out of this they'll probably get their loyal customers to come back but they're also able now to reach a broader audience because they have a better online platform so it may not just be based in Delaware you could have customers in California because yeah. they're online you can ship it to them so I don't know if that I don't want to say silver lining in this whole thing because it's a terrible you know terrible situation but yeah. that is maybe something that's come out of it. So I don't know. It'll be interesting in how the real estate market reacts to it because the stores will still need to be, you know, they'll still be in place and they'll probably make enough to offset with online sales, their rent that they need to pay with maybe a small reduction in their in-store sales. So yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch how this plays out, but I'm, I'm less, when this first started, I was like, Oh gosh, this is going to be awful. I I had the same thought with the office especially. Yeah. 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 So yeah, me too. And then I'm like, oh well, yeah, you're right. Like everyone had like all these companies within the last three years and completely re, you know, reset their floor plans <laughs> and reset everything <laughs> yeah. to be these like teeny little micro cubes and you know shared spaces. And now, yeah, now that can't happen. So, but I don't know how long. I mean, the main question will be, how long does this go on for? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I I don't know. It, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, there were there was so much interesting. There's so many interesting trends happening in commercial real estate yeah. before this hit, and now this is just right. sort of complicated all that even more, especially with real with retail and office. Um, right. Yeah, I mean the retail. I, I know the last couple of years I've been very interested in some of these new studies looking at how you know there's there's been this trend where major retailers are closing, but there there's a lot sort of underlying that and it's not it's it's not as clear cut as it seems on the surface because some of that is like older brands and older stores phasing out and newer ones phasing in and some of them are some of it is you know physical stores learning how to do the online sales and how the physical store builds the online sales because you also see online only platforms starting to open physical stores so mm-hmm. they sort of play off each other and you know, the companies, everybody's trying to figure out exactly how that works. So, you know, the whole, I, I always tell people the whole, you know, apocalypse of retail that you read about all the time is it's not, it's not that that space isn't reducing, but it's a little overblown. Like people aren't yeah. just going to stop going to stores tomorrow. No. Yeah. Um, and, but, but I think it also forces stores like the big, you know, big department store type. I mean, we've heard, I mean, what I think Neiman's filed bankruptcy and this whole thing, but I, yeah. there are probably other reasons for that. Um, other than this is probably the final blow, but you're, it's going to force stores to make shopping an experience and a, rather than just a necessity, because if it's just a necessity, I'm going to go online. If I don't feel like going in, you know, okay, I need whatever, you know, my, my moisturizer for my face, I can go online and order it because it's the same thing. I don't need to try it on. But if I feel like going and like, trying on a bunch of shoes and having a nice day with, you know, with friends, you're going to do that, but you want it to be at a place that's an experience and you, you know, it's a customer service experience rather yeah. than just like, 
here, give, give me that shirt. <laughs> yeah. So in a lot of the newer retailers that have been successful, I know is do things like they have, they'll have like a selfie wall or like, you know, they have, mm-hmm. they, they, they build those kinds of things yeah. into their store. They've interacted they with displays. Or they have, yeah. Yeah. So you see more of yeah. that. And then on, on the office side, I had the same reaction as you where I, I was thinking, well, wow. And I still, I still kind of feel like this is going to happen long term. Where you know, you had this trend towards a lot of talk around more remote work and you know, reducing space long term. I, I had a conversation with somebody from CB Richard Ellis maybe like eight years ago in Philadelphia, and they were talking about how they were going to do that. And I'm not sure they ever actually totally implemented that because there's been sort of research that has debated against that whole idea of reducing mm-hmm. space. But with this, it's like a lot of the people that were reluctant to do it had to learn how to use things like Zoom and GoToMeeting and these other right. platforms. So it makes it easier. But like you, I've, I've heard a lot of the, the research and even on the forecast last week say the same kind of things um, with, you know, there's going to be more tension toward health and safety in the office place now than there used to mm-hmm. be. And not mm-hmm. just distancing at desk, but like HVAC systems and like all those yeah. kinds of things are going to be much more important than they were in the past. So it's just, it's, it's all, I find it all very interesting, but I don't think anybody has the answers right now, you know, in terms no. of figuring out where it's all going. Like I would expect codes will change, you know, building code will change to require certain filters or whatever it is, you know, in the HVAC systems or it'll be interesting to see. I think there'll be a long-term fallout from it, but the space thing will be interesting. And, and what's interesting is that I remember probably, you know, a year ago, people were, I want to work from home. I want to work from home. Well, now people have done that. And people are kind of, cl- not everybody, yeah. but there's a lot of people clamoring to get back into the office. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have the option of going to the office yeah. in addition to having the option of working. Yeah. Right. yeah, I know like myself, like I, I've talked about it with my manager, like, okay, I'll probably, as long as I don't have meetings or, you know, client meetings or whatnot, I'll probably work from home like two days a week now because you know I can and it's just easier than having a 40 minute commute. So Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Not, yeah. You know. So I, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Maybe maybe they'll yeah. have larger space cubicles that are flexible or and and over time there's the near term, which I think, you know, at least the ULI forecast is projecting through the end of twenty twenty two. But yeah. then there's there's so there's sort of the question as to what happens then during this recovery. But then, you know, kind of what's the long-term trend. So um, right. so you, you had an interesting experience recently with the SBA loans. And I know that this is, this yeah. is a, little bit, a little bit tricky for you to talk about too openly. But I, I really did, wanted I to see that. how much you could um, touch on that experience in terms yeah. of processing the, uh, the SBA loans back in April. Because that was something that hit the news. And you heard a lot yeah. about, oh, well... They didn't process, you know, small businesses or this, that, or the other. And yeah. your, your perspective on how that all played out from somebody that actually had actually had to do the processing of the loan yeah. in a short period of yeah. time is, it, I thought, was very enlightening and interesting um, because you didn't hear a lot of that in the news. Yeah, so you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, as most people probably, I mean, they, they publicized a lot of this to that. So I think the final regulations from the SBA, so Congress passed this thing, like, and three days later, the SBA, or maybe it was a week, came out with their recommendations and process on a Thursday. And then the intention and was it was supposed to go from Congress was it was supposed to go live Friday. So it gave banks, you know, 
within a couple hours in the SBA. I mean, the SBA had to react extremely quickly. So you you rolled out this program very quickly that to put in perspective, <laughs> I got some stats from our 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 group. So pre pre-COVID, we had 20 people working in our SBA department. And we're I, I forget the number. I, I previously did not have SBA experience. Um, but we we were up there as term in terms of like number of loans provided through the SBA annually, one of the top, I think. So we had 20 people processing those. And I think I got the number. Oh, a normal year, we would do about 1500 SBA loans. So within the first week after the Congress, the Congress law, you know, whatever the the CARES Act Act came out, We ramped it up to 200 people from various departments throughout the bank, went and worked for this group and got trained up on how they need to process this. And then it went live. We ended up going live on Monday because we rolled out a a platform that, yes, while we weren't the first to roll it out and open it up, we wanted to make sure we got it right and that our clients had an easy experience on the processing end because we were just afraid if we went too quickly the end user experience was just going to be not not a customer friendly experience so 200 people went and in the first week we received 25,000 applications <laughs> so <laughs> i 1500 think 1500 in a year you said usually well, 1500 in a year, a year. so yeah. yes yes <laughs> so we get 25,000 applications and i think quickly it was determined and realized that those 200 people would not be able to process the money would run out for our clients before that 25,000, those 25,000 applications were even touched, like not touched, but a very small portion of them. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't like each bank got an allocation. So it wasn't MT got this much and, you know, this has got this much. It wasn't, it was just first come first serve. So we were like, Oh gosh, if our clients are going to be able to get this money, we got we to gotta do something. So then it just kind of became a all hands on deck. So I, I was part of this part of it. So 2,000 M&T employees went from their day job, including myself, to move into this role. So we had... I think we had a training on a Monday. And by Monday night at 8 o'clock, we were switched on to you know processing these applications. So... It was truly, and I think the motto they kept saying was "No man left behind." Like they, they, we did not want our clients to be impacted by you know process. It just it, we wanted our clients to be able to get that money. So I think in the end, before the first round of money ran out with the SBA, we processed. I think in the, we to, in total we got about thirty thousand applica- eligible applications. I should say eligible, um, all but sixteen hundred got processed and funded. So it was about 4% that didn't get processed in time. Mm-hmm. So we thought that was a pretty... And, and most of those, there was like some questions or there was something around it that we needed clarification on. So those became... When the second round of funds became available, they became the priority and they got processed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we took on... I think it was like another 7,000 or so applications that got processed in that second round. But it was astonishing to see. I have never seen something like that. I don't think many people have no, yeah. um, in our careers. At, you said in, you were working late on the clock, right? Oh my gosh, I was. I was working. I think it, it, that turned on. I think it was around seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. 
And all my whole team, we're all on like Microsoft Teams talking like, okay, who's taking this one? And who's doing that one? And we were doing that until probably 11 o'clock at night. Then we all went to bed, <laughs> woke up at about seven, you know, got on the computer at seven and started doing it again and processed all day until probably, you know, for dinner. And actually, I think I ate at my desk every night. <laughs> and then, um, you know, worked all day for about three days straight. And we got through it. <laughs> it was, it was... Um, something I never, but we even had like the regional president in one of the other markets. He was processing applications because yeah. it was just truly like ever can just do it and yeah. go in and get our clients their money. So it was, but I did get this. I was, I was um, quite astonished when I found, I, I asked for the stats for Delaware because I, I actually hadn't heard specifically for Delaware what we had done. So for Delaware, we had, 2,391 applications approved, three, which totaled $370 million and uh, protected or helped, I guess, um, just shy of 38,000 jobs, which I thought was a really good statistic. And that made it kind of worth it and um, made me feel good about it because it really did have an impact. And our average, I wanted to say, since there was so much um, talk about loan sizes <laughs> with a lot of the um, with a lot of places, our average loan size for the bank was two hundred and five thousand. So it wasn't like we were giving funds to all the largest clients. So sorry. <laughs> no worries. We're all working from home these days. <laughs> so, I know. So, I think we're I think we're about time anyway, Rich. I, I greatly yeah. appreciate your time here today. I think it was yeah, no really problem. Fun discussion and. Um, I look forward to planning our next uh, ULI Delaware Council meeting. I know. Over Zoom with you. Yeah, that would be great. A couple weeks. So thanks again. And thanks, uh, Sean. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. If you'd like more information on the Urban Land Institute and the Philadelphia region, please visit philadelphia.uli.org. If you'd like more information on the ULI Delaware Council, you can contact me at O-N-E-I-L-L at U-D-E-L dot E-D-U. That's all we have for this episode. I'm Sean O'Neill from the University of Delaware IPA. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at bidenschool.udel.edu backslash IPA. Thanks again. Thanks.